Well, good morning. My name is Jared, one of the pastors here at Soul City Church. It's so good to be led by Alana Story this morning in worship. <laughs> to, and I want to say a special uh, welcome to those who are in overflow this morning. Uh, thank you for staying and sticking with it. Uh, there's a reward for you in heaven and maybe at the cafe afterwards. So uh, thank you for doing that. We're so glad to see what God's doing in our church. And uh, we're concluding uh, this week a series that we've been doing called God's Politics, where we've been, instead of opening our mouths about our opinions, uh, we've been opening God's Word to see how He has been speaking to truths that are actually spiritual truths for thousands of years that still continue to be hot topics today in our culture. In fact, can be very divisive. When God's Word is speaking very clearly to the subject, if we'll listen and if we'll actually put His principles to practice and follow Him. And so we've been looking at a lot of different things. We've been looking at power. We've been looking at poverty. And this week, we're looking at something that I learned early on uh, you don't talk about in church. There's really two things you shouldn't talk about in church. The first is politics, and the second is money. And this morning, we're talking about both. So it should be a good morning this morning, because we're going to look at Really, what has become the hot topic in this year's presidential election is what to do about our national crisis, our national financial crisis. Who's going to sort of help us get through or get out of the mess we found ourselves in? And it doesn't take much for us to see that we are in a mess when it comes to our finances here in this country. It's not hard. You don't have to look far. You don't have to read too many statistics. You don't have to read too many reports. You don't have to really even have a candidate in mind to see we have gotten ourselves into a mess. And while it's easy to kind of try and figure out how we got here and who's to blame, what we want to do is pay attention to our part in that process. You know, it's amazing. Our, our current financial realities, here's what I'd love for you to do. I want you to take a guess at, and maybe you know, what our current national debt is. I want you to turn to the person next to you, take five seconds. What would you guess is our current national debt? How much is our country owe? Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and Share what you think it is. All right. As of this weekend, our nation is currently in debt $16 trillion. Trillion. Now, our son is seven, and he keeps asking me, Dad, what's the highest number? And I'm like, our national debt. That's the highest, that's the highest number. We're in debt $16 trillion. If every tax-paying American were to want to take it upon themselves to pay off our national debt, every single one of us who pays taxes would have to pay an extra $141,000 tomorrow, and we can wipe out our national debt. But you kind of know the story of our country. It wouldn't take long for us to be back into that place. Because it's not just sort of a national issue, it's a personal issue as well. Our national financial crisis is nothing more than a reflection of our own personal financial crisis. So if our nation is in debt $16 trillion, you want to know how much the average American is actually in debt personally? $16,000. That's the average person. And for some of you, you go, wow, that's a lot. For some of you go, yeah, that would be great if it was that little. Because we... We've all kind of contributed to our national crisis, every one of us in one way or another. We have a financial problem, several, many financial problems when it comes to our nation right now. 
You know, just Halloween alone, this is amazing. It's estimated that this year we'll spend over, close to or over, just on costumes alone this Halloween. Eight billion dollars on costumes alone. That's a lot of costumes. That's a lot of stuff that you're going to wear once and never, hopefully ever, please never wear again. We'll spend, this year we're on pace to spend in candy alone for Halloween. $2.3 billion in candy alone. So we have a national financial and a national dental issue going on in our country today. But it's really easy for us to kind of look at that and go, yep, we have a problem. And that is something that, that's why it's such a hot issue in this election. Because what we want to do is have them fix the problem that they got us into. So often when we look at our national financial reality, we look to those in leadership to say, you got us into this mess, therefore you have to get us out of it. And as long as we are pointing fingers and saying, it's their problem, it's their problem, then we're going to wait for them to have the solution for us. When all along God's saying, no, 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 I actually have a way for you, a plan for you that starts with personal responsibility when it comes to your financial realities. And all of the pain and heartache and loss of the last sort of four years of financial downturn for our country has forced us to face some things that we haven't been paying attention to for the last 40 years, 50 years. To ask some better questions, hopefully. Some bigger questions. In fact, there's three questions we're going to be asking that I think if we were to all stop and ask as a nation, it would change the trajectory of our spending and our debt. So we can't ask everyone else in the country to ask these questions, but we can start with ourselves this morning. And so I want to put these questions up on the screen. I'm going to have us actually read them out loud because these questions are going to guide us through the scripture passage we're about to open up and then guide us through our week as we look to reorder our financial world. Here's the three questions. Let's read the first one out loud. What's the first question? Whose money is it, all right? And this is very important. In fact, you should have in your seat back a little ballot. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Why don't you take it out on the back? I want you to write these questions down. I want you to write these questions down because I think these are very, very helpful questions, and they directly come out of the Scripture that we're going to be opening up here in a second. First question, when it comes to our own personal financial realities, and whether we're in a great place or a tough place, this is a very important question to ask no matter where you're at financially. First question you have to ask is, whose money is it? Now, depending on who you ask in our country, they'll have a very different answer for you. Ask an elected official, they'll tell you, well, it's our money. It's our country's money. It's our money. We're the ones that control the Fed. We control the percentage point. We're the ones that print the dang money. It's our money. You ask other folks, they'll say, no, 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 it's my money. I made it. I worked for it. I earned it. It's in my bank account with my name. It's my money. We have to start by asking the question, whose money is it? What's the next question? Good, that, you guys sound so excited to ask these questions. And so, at the very least, will you I feign interest in these questions while we read them out loud? Let's ask the second question again. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Whose responsibility is it? That's the second question we have to ask. Who is responsible? Again, as long as I say it's their problem, then I'm waiting for them to bring the solution. Who's responsible for my resources? Ultimately, at the end of the day, is it them? Or is it me? And the last question is what? Who's it for? This stuff that I have in my life, my resources, what's its purpose? Who's it for? 
what's kind of the end game for this? Is it just to sort of make as much as I can make and take it with me to the grave? Is it to make as much as I can make to spend it on myself? Who's it for? These are very, very, very important questions that really come up significantly in the passage that we're going to be looking at today. So if you would, please, I'd ask you to grab a Bible. We're going to open up God's Word to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. If you brought a Bible, please open that up. If you didn't, would you grab one of the blue Bibles? Because we're going to write in this, and I would ask you, please, take a Bible right now, pull it out, and the blue Bibles is page 694. We'll obviously put it on the screen, but I want to have you write some stuff down, and we're going to be taking some notes. We say this every week. If you don't own a Bible, and you heard Manisha's story about how he was committed to reading through the entire Bible to determine who Jesus is, you want to do that for your life, here's the deal. You don't own a Bible, this Bible's now yours. Steal a Bible from church. We love restocking Bibles here. So please do that. And I love when I see people walking out of here with Bibles every week. So we're going to open to page 694, which is Matthew 25. We're going to look at a story found in this uh, that Jesus is telling. We're, we're in kind of the final days and stages of Jesus' public ministry. And he tells us a story. And like several of the stories that Jesus told, there's two stories being told at once. There's a story about God and there's a story about us. And so we find God in the details of the story and we also find ourselves in the details of the story. The story found in Matthew 25, we'll start at verse 14, is called the parable of the talents. Or in Luke's account, it's called the parable of the minas. Let me just kind of help you understand a little cultural context. Talent was a a measurement of money. And so in in this kind of context, when Jesus is telling the story, he uses a bag of gold or a talent, or Luke uses a mina. And in today's economy, the one bag of gold, as we're going to see in the story, one bag of gold is equivalent to $500,000 in today's economy, give or take 2,000 years of inflation and our current recession. So about half a million dollars for a bag of money. That's going to come up in the story a couple times, and I want us to pay attention to that. So this is a parable of the talents, and we're going to look for those three questions we just asked. And we're going to look for the heart of God and our own heart in this story. Again, it is a story that Jesus told. So it's not meant to be taken literally, but it's meant to teach us and open our hearts more and more to God. So this is starting in verse 14. Again, I'm going to pause a couple points when I do. Would you kind of call the word out to me? Uh, that way we know we're all together. Uh, Jesus says this, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey. Jesus is kind of teach us about the principles and the ways of God, the kingdom of God here on earth. So he says, again, it'll be like a man who's going on a journey, who called his servants, and what's the next word? And entrusted. Please underline or circle that word. Highlight it on your phone. Do whatever you have to do. It's a very important word. He called the servants together and entrusted whose wealth? His wealth to them. So he calls servants. Now, who knows what they were doing or where they're at in the story, but he calls them into his courts, into his palace, and he says, look, forget what you're doing. I'm about to invest in you a significant portion of my resources, my resources entrusted to you. So to one, he gave five bags of gold. Now, if each bag is worth about half a million dollars in our economy. Those of you who are good at math, how much is that equivalent to? Two and a half million, 2.5. Thank you for being so specific with that. $2.5 million, okay, in today's economy. That's how drastic the story is that Jesus is saying. Again, I'm a servant. I'm over here. I'm cleaning the stable. I don't know what I'm doing as a servant. I get called in, and now I'm given $2.5 million by my master entrusted to me. Then he goes, okay, here's the deal. He gave five to him to another two bags, which is about a million dollars, and to another one bag, which is about half a million dollars. Each, now this is very important, according to his ability. So the master, Jesus is implying here, knows these servants and what they're capable of. 
clearly, as we'll see when the story plays out. He entrusts them with what they're capable with. So one 2.5 million, one 1 million, one half a million. And so, then he went on his journey. Jesus doesn't give a lot of details. He's trying to tell a bigger story. So then he went on a journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to what? To work. And gain. So he went at once. That's very important to understand. At once. He went to work. And the story Jesus tells us, he went and gained five more. He turned $2.5 million into $5 million. That's a good day at the dog tracks. Like he did all right with that. He went to work at once and was able to come back and double what the master had entrusted him. So also, the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, Jesus is making a very strong point about this. Now, you may read this and think of our current financial reality and go, that's actually a good plan. That's not a, he was on to something thousands of years ago. But in this story, it's so clearly Jesus is trying to make an extreme point that this person did not take responsibility with the resources entrusted to him. In fact, he did nothing with them. It was indifferent. It was unintentional. Did not go to work at once, but rather went and sat on what God had entrusted to him. Jesus goes on in the story, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them and pulled out the ledger and said, okay, guys, bring them back in. How are we doing? The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you, what's the word? Entrusted. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's what? Happiness. Underline and circle that word. Come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in the delight of the Lord. When we are responsible with what's been entrusted to us, when we leverage what's been entrusted to us, come and share in the master's happiness, the delight of God that comes when we obey. So, the story continues. Uh, the, the man with two bags of gold came. He said, Master, same exact thing here. You entrusted me with two bags of gold? See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And so now you have to imagine, these two guys are going, this has been a great experience. I mean, we, we've got to share in the master's happiness. We've got to increase his wealth. We are, there's a, a celebration about to occur. The, the little confetti bombs are about to go off. And then the third guy comes up. Wah, wah, wah. The one who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you've not sown, and gathering where you've not scattered seed. Let's just hit positive cultural context for here. What does that phrase mean? It's an insult. What this third servant is saying is, Master, I know that you have earned your income duplicitously. Master, I know that you, you've taken money where it wasn't yours. I, I, I know that you have a reputation where you've kind of taken this from places that didn't 
actually belong to you. Master, in other words, what he's saying is, Master, I know you're from Chicago. I mean, I, I know how your money's made. I know where it comes from. So there's a really clear moment here where there's great celebration. Come share in the master's happiness. Share in the master's happiness. You've been faithful with little. I'll put you in charge to be faithful with much. And then this insult, this accusation, this assumption about the character of the master. So what he says was, so I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. And then he has the audacity to say, see, here's what belongs to you, kind of dusting it off. Here you go, just as you gave it to me. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So, so you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gathered where I scattered seed. You knew I'm from Chicago. You knew then that you could have easily put your money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have had at least the interest on it. Look what the master says. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. And that guy at that point, you know, he gets like one more bag. He's like, woo too soon? Like it's very, <laughs> very tense in the story right here, right? Because look what he says. Those who have will be given more and they'll have an abundance. But as for those who don't have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw, listen to this, throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A very difficult, challenging teaching that Jesus is completely comfortable to leave us sitting in attention. He drops the mic and just walks off stage. Come share in the master's happiness all the way to get this wicked, lazy servant away from me. Again, there's two stories being taught here. One that reveals the heart of God. One that reveals our heart. So many of us, if we're to be honest, our, our assumptions our fear, if we're to be really honest. We talked about this in my small group this last Friday. Our fear about God is that he won't provide. He won't be good. And so we are not that far off oftentimes in our assumptions and accusations of God when it comes to that third servant. Assuming that God is not good. But the reality of the story and the character of God is revealed all the way in the beginning. A master who did not need to entrusted millions of his dollars, his resources, into the hands of servants. The master is already good and generous and desires for us to delight in his happiness. And it reveals our heart. It reveals in us that choice that every one of us has to make. What will we, we do with the stuff we have in our life, our resources? It comes all the way back to those first three questions. Let's look at those first three questions in light of this passage that we just read together. According to this passage, let me ask you a couple of questions. According to the story that we just heard from Jesus, whose money is it really? Masters. That's not a trick question. It's the masters. God's. Whose money is it really? It's God's money. It's his resources that have been entrusted to me. Who's responsible? In this story, who was responsible for the resources? Was it the master? Was it somebody else? Who was responsible? Servants, we're responsible. And if they are in Jesus' teaching to represent us, then we're responsible. Wh whose money is it? It's, it's, it's God's money. It belongs to him. It comes from him. It's not from a government. It's not from hustle and hard work. It's God's money given as a gift to us. Who's responsible for it? I'm responsible for what God has entrusted to me. No matter how much it may be, 
no matter how many bags or talents or minas it may be, I'm responsible for what God has entrusted to me. Not someone else. I am. And I know that it's easy when you hear a story like this to kind of look at your life and go, yeah, I mean, sure, it's easy to make two and a half million dollars when you start with two and a half million dollars. It's easy to kind of, you know, be more like responsible and generous with your resources when you have a lot of resources. I, I know a lot of five talent kind of people in my life. I'm like barely a one talent. I'm like a half a bag of talent kind of person. And if I only had more, then I could do more. And I understand that assumption. I've felt that. We've all felt that at some level. But we all know the truth of that ancient, ancient proverb. Mo money, mo problems. I mean, I think we know it's not as simple. It's not as simple as that. It's not as simple as just if I had more, it would be easier. Not at all. Every one of us, no matter what's been entrusted to us, is still responsible for what God has entrusted to you, no matter how many, no matter how much, no matter what it is. It's not someone else's responsibility. It's my responsibility. And so what will I do to leverage what God has so freely given to me? And the last question, who's it for? And this is where it gets really fun. Because Scripture teaches again and again and again, all throughout the Bible, that it is meant as a gift from God to be a gift to others, to our family, to our friends, to those who are in need around us, wherever we see that, to support works of God here locally and around the world. I mean, that's, that's the idea. That's how we double God's investment in us, is by investing in the relationships and the needs and the movements of God around us. Whose money is it? It's God's money. Who's responsible? I am. Who's it for? It's for others. It's not just a means unto myself. And so what every one of us has to ask is the really hard question that this scripture 2,000 years ago brings to the surface and that our current financial reality brings to the surface. What will you do with what's been entrusted to you? If you believe that it's God's, and you believe that you're responsible, and you believe that it's a gift that's meant to be a gift to others, invested into the works of God, into relationships that God has brought around you, then what will you do with what's been entrusted to you? What will you do? What will be the story told of your life, of my life? What will you do with what's been entrusted to you? You know, I, I know that this is the kind of stuff that many of us didn't grow up maybe hearing about. I don't know what kind of home you grew up in. I'm not sure how finances were talked about or handled in your home. But for a lot of folks, it's just not something maybe that you picked up along the way. And consequently, it's easy to say, you know, kind of like, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have heard because, you know, that could have maybe saved me from this, that, or the other. And our parents may have been well-intentioned and they may have had, you know, great ideas and principles, but what you, you know, they, they taught and then what you caught may have been two very different things. And so what Gene and I are trying to do in our family is to really teach this kind of biblical principles of what it means to really leverage well what God has entrusted to us, to our kids. But more than just trying to teach it, we're trying to model it to them so they can look to our lives and, and, and see that in some way so at least they would know. And so we are honestly just passing on to them what really wise mentors poured into us when we were first getting married. We were doing our little premarital counseling. We'd heard of a concept we'd never heard before. 
And it was so formative for our marriage, for our relationship. It's this concept of give, save, live. And it breaks, breaks down, the way we break it down is simply this, 10, 10, 80. Give 10%, save 10%, live on 80. Very, very basic principle. There's a lot, lot more that we can get into, but for our kids, we've actually set up little jars for them that every week they have their give and their save and their live jar. And they have little responsibilities every day. And so their responsibilities, you know, we, we, we'll give them a quarter each day that they accomplish all their responsibilities. Now, I wish I had that job because their responsibilities are like brush your teeth. You know, this is something we should all do. Uh, make your bed, clean up your toys. One of their responsibilities is sit in your chair the entire meal. Friends, I would pay them $10,000 a day if they would simply do that. And so we kind of have their responsibilities, and we have their little checklist on a board right by in the kitchen, and so we can kind of keep track of that. And then every week, Saturday night or Sunday morning, we kind of divide it up, and we drop it in the jars, and then they bring their give jar here to Soul City Kids, where they're, we're sponsoring Fiona, a girl that we're sponsoring through World Vision. Well, this last week, we had one of those kind of scenarios where I saw really clearly the tension that my son faces that honestly I think is a perfect picture for every one of us when it comes to what we'll do with what's been entrusted to us. So we had to run to Target to grab a couple things. And uh, my son still had, his birthday was two weeks ago, so he still had $5 left over of birthday money. So he got, you know, some money from grandma and grandpa and his other grandma and all that kind of stuff. And so we kind of gave him a budget and said, look, buddy, here's what you're going to, you know, you're going to save this, you're going to give this, and you can kind of live off of this. And so he still had $5 left. And so we're in Target, and it was burning a hole in his pocket. He was ready to spend it. In fact, he walked in there knowing exactly what he wanted to buy, was ready to do it, and like, let's do this thing. And so we kind of got the things that we needed to grab, and then we went back to the toy section, and they didn't have what he was looking for. And so it was this real moment of tension for Elijah, because like he really, really, really walked in there ready to spend $5, but they just didn't have what he wanted. So then he made a choice. He's like, well, I'm going to spend it anyway. And so he started walking around going, Dad, is this $5? I'm like, uh, yeah, but it's just Nerf darts. I don't know, like, I don't know why you're going to need those. Dad, is this $5? And then he would ask about, like, you know, all kinds of toys. Dad, what about this? Like, son, you're not even into that anymore. Like, that's, that's $10, too. And so it was just real tension for him. He really wanted to spend his $5. But he didn't have the thing that he walked in there with, you know, his plan was. In fact, one point I kind of came around the aisle, and we're about 10 minutes into this. We're about 10 minutes too long into this decision. I come around the corner, and he's holding this. I want to show you. <coughs> no joke. First of all, I didn't even know that they made Kiss Legos. Second of all, my son was convinced he needed them. Dad, I've wanted these all my life. Really? For seven years, you wanted Kiss Legos? I didn't. And I'm like, son, there's no way I'm going to let you spend $5 on Kiss Legos. So I bought them. Four. I just bought them for myself. And I thought, someone's got to have these. So we're walking around. He's really in a tough spot. Now he's starting to get a little anxious. Ah, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And, and we told him, son, it's your money. This is your live money. You're welcome to spend it, or you can stick to the plan that you walked in with. And literally, I'm in the toy aisle saying, son, you can stick with the plan, or you can go ahead and spend it. If we find, like, a Lego or something like that, and he's sitting there, he's thinking about, thinking about it. He's very, like, kind of, you know, intense. So the guy's thinking, he goes, 
death, I'm going to stick with the plan. And this sense of empowerment came over him. He's sitting, he's like, I'm sticking with the plan. I thought he was going to grab the microphone and tell everyone to target. I'm sticking with the plan. And he was so excited and so empowered. He felt so free in that moment to go, I don't have to spend my money on something I don't really even want. I'm sticking with the plan. And sure enough, he stuck with the plan. We got home, he's like, Dad, let's go online and see if they have it. I'm like, all right, You're, you are sticking with your plan. That is very, very, very true. And as simple as that story can sound and seem, you know, $5, seven-year-old kid, a toy at Target, I think it reveals our heart really well. I think we all have a desire. We have a desire to honor God with our resources. We have a desire to live generously, to live richly, to live well. I think we all have that desire to live within our means. We have that desire But what it really takes for us isn't just desire. It takes daily discipline. It takes us sticking to the plan. It takes us having the plan. It takes us saying, look, if I believe this is God's money, and I believe that it's my responsibility, he's entrusted me, then I want to do whatever I have to do, whatever I can do to honor God with it so that I can be a gift to others just as God has been a gift to me. It really, truly comes down to those like in Target or in wherever it is or online or whatever that place is for you, that kind of daily decision. You know, a life of of generosity doesn't just happen by accident. It's built by daily responsibility. A life of generosity, the kind of freedom that God created you to live in, the kind of freedom that God has entrusted you with his resources to live with, to leverage in this world, That kind of empowerment that my son felt is available to every single one of us. But it doesn't just happen by accident. It doesn't happen unintentionally. It happens in daily choices of responsibility. A lifestyle, a lifetime, a life of generosity is built by daily responsibility. I'm sticking with the plan. And so what we would love to do is figure out how we can do that together as a church. And so what I want to do is actually go back to those questions. Whose money is it? It's God's money. If it's actually God's money and it's a gift from him, what would it look like for you and me this week to thank him for it? I want you just to think about that for a second. I know how it is. I mean, bills are, come fast and, and things can be tight and can be lean and, and then all that kind of commotion I want you to think about the last time you actually invited God into your financial reality. When is the last time you said, okay, God, I just want you to be a part of this. I want you to actually guide and direct this. And instead of praying just prayers, only prayers of, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, I need you to come through, which he can, which he will. What would it look like for you to say, no, God, I'm going to start with, oh, God, thank you. Thank you. I believe these resources are a gift from you. It's your money. Thank you. Whether it's five, two, one, ten, whatever God you've entrusted me with, thank you. And start there and see if it doesn't change your perspective about your resources. How can we start by saying, God, thank you for whatever it is, as little or small as it may seem, thank you. And then when it comes to answering the question of how I'll be responsible with what's been entrusted to me, 
God, I want to know, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to pay attention to? Are there patterns of spending that I need to watch? God, are there ways that I'm wasting my money that I'm totally unaware of? God, is there debt that I've just sort of become comfortable with and accustomed to, but what I don't even realize is it's choking out the freedom that you created for me to live. And it limits my capacity for generosity because I'm so bound to others financially. And so what would it look like for you to say, no, I'm going to take some responsibility and maybe get back to the plan. Maybe you had a plan and things have either gotten tight or things have gone really well and you kind of forgot about the plan. To get back to the plan this week, to get really serious about it. Or maybe for the first time in your life, to have a plan. Maybe you didn't hear about this kind of stuff, you didn't know about this kind of stuff, you didn't know how much God speaks to the way that he's wired and created us to leverage resources in our life. The responsibility that comes with generosity. And so one of the things that I love that we're able to do to help you take that next step, because it takes like really getting into the trenches of your finances and saying, God, what do I need to know and then what do I need to do so that I can live more like you created me to live? Here's what I love. In just two weeks, we're offering a workshop here at the church called Money Wise. Saturday, November 10th from 8.30 to noon at Soul City Church. It's led by Tamara and Keith who are members of our stewardship team who help guide how our church leverages what God has entrusted with us. These are brilliant financial minds who are literally going to be there with some other leaders that can sit down with you and open up the books, talk very practically and very biblically about what it means to even as basic of a plan as 10-10-80 or how to begin to put into work the principles of, you know, give, save, live into your life. And what I love too is we have a little ballot for you. And every week we've made the decision. We're not going to wait till we walk into a voting booth in November. We're going to decide today. Again, I'm not going to worry about it being their problem and wait for them to have the solution. God, I believe you've invited me into responsibility today when it comes to the resources you've entrusted to me. So I'm going to ask you to pull the ballot out right now because there's a way that you can vote. And as part of the ballot, you can actually sign up for this class on November 10th. We'll get you registered for it. Spots are limited, so we want you to make sure that you register and get it in. It's absolutely free. That's, that's important when we're doing a financial class and helping us kind of work out our finances. I want you to know it's free. It's our gift. We want our church to embody the teachings in the, body, in the Bible when it comes to finances. So on this ballot, if you pull it out and grab a pen, there's a chance for you to vote. And at the bottom, it actually has a little registration for this class. You can fill that out in a minute when we receive our offering. You can drop that in. And just make that your vote. So I'm going to show up. I'm going to open up the books. I'm going to invite God in so that I can actually begin to live and leverage the resources that he's entrusted to me. I'm going to stick with the plan. And so we want to make sure that everyone in our church has the opportunity to do that so that we can answer that, answer that final question, which is who's it for? So that we can actually experience the freedom and the joy and the gift that comes from doing whatever we can do to leverage our resources well for God in this world, to be able to live generously, to be able to give and support our friends and family and works of God around us, to be free to do that. That's how God created you to live. And so often our finances feel anything but free. And so that's our hope, that's our prayer, and that is our homework for this week. That you and I would take seriously the opportunity, the invitation that God's given us. In fact, I'm going to invite uh, our worship leaders, Atlanta Story, to come back up. 
And we're really going to sit with that choice. This week, am I going to live like that third servant unintentionally, just sort of hoping it'll all work out? Or am I going to begin to take the steps necessary to live generously, to make those daily decisions of responsibility? And one of the ones that we do here on a regular basis at Soul City Church is we give back to God out of gratitude for the goodness that he's given to us. And we do that every week here at Soul City Church, and I want to let you know why. Many of us, 60% of our church gives online. But we do that as part of our worship because it's a reminder to us that I have a responsibility. If, if I believe it's God and that he's entrusted to me, how do I respond to him with that? And one of the clearest and easiest places I can invest and allow these resources to be for others is to invest in the work that God is doing through this church in our neighborhood, to extend the work of this church, to do things like follow Palooza. And that's the only reason we're able to do an event for our neighborhood, have some 800 folks from our neighborhood come, is because faithful people like you are responding to God generously. And we're seeing his work continue throughout this neighborhood. Our partnership with Brown, it's the only way we're able to do that. But more than all of that, what God does is he opens up our hearts. He opens up our hearts to get a glimpse of his heart and the freedom and the joy that he actually has for every one of us when it comes to our resources. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to give to God and sing out to him. And so I'd ask if you would, if you close your eyes, we'll pray. We'll give. We'll sing. God, we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you, God. That you don't hold back. And that, God, you've entrusted each one of us, no matter how much it is, God, no matter how much it feels like or seems like, God, you've entrusted us with resources. You've invited us into an adventure of living life like you created us to live. Free, joyful, able to respond generously to the people and the needs around us. God, I pray that for our church. I pray, God, that our church would experience that freedom, that we would take the steps that we can take, God, to do what we can do to live that life out, God, when it comes to our resources. God, I pray we don't, we don't wait for someone else to solve the problem for us. We, we don't wait for some other solution to come. God, you and your word have been teaching us and instructing us for thousands of years. And so today, we choose, we vote, we decide that we want to live generously, freely. So help us, God, to be responsible to do that this week, we pray. In your glorious name, amen.